0: Glad to see you all here. Uh let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence through worship, but you've also in- invited us to come into your presence through your word. Lord, help uh help me communicate this morning and help our hearts and minds be open to be transformed uh, by the message of your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been talking about <clears throat> the idea of relativism which is a predominant philosophy of our day and uh, just to give you a heads up if you didn't see my facebook uh, uh notices the last couple of days we're going to have a little question and answer at the end if i get done if there's time so uh now please if you ask a question ask a question uh, i'm not i don't it's not a commentary time for comments or commentary uh, so when I go to other places, people ask questions and someone stands up and talks for 10 minutes on what their idea is, that's not a question. And so I'll, I'll interrupt you and say, please turn it into a question quickly. So <clears throat> not to scare you too much. <laughs> but I really want, I want questions because I want this to mean something to you. I want it to connect to where you are and where you encounter relativism. In fact, our family were uh, watching a television show And um, you know, at the end of it, uh, the the whole series is about confronting this this false religion, and the good guys are defending you know truth, I guess, and and freedom, yeah. And the other ones are really more about enslaving people, and and it was just, it was like, oh, there's relativism. I mean, just blatantly uh, 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 communicating that you know religion is okay as long as it's it's handled. In relativism, in other words it's you know my version is good for me, your version is good for you and and how that's that's acceptable, and anything beyond that is 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 um, enslavement really and, and manipulation but Jesus came in john fourteen it's recorded that he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me and so as As seemingly nice that the idea of relativism appears, it contradicts clearly with Jesus. So, if relativism is good, then Jesus isn't. That's the real question. That's the real challenge. Everybody wants to say Jesus is a good teacher. He was a good religious leader. You know, and that's true if you believe in him and follow him. But if you if you embrace relativism then Jesus isn't good because he said he is the way and he used the term the uh, uh, a definitive uh, <clears throat> as in the only way and he says clearly no one comes to the Father no one accesses the place of heaven eternal life except through him um, <clears throat> the the series on Relative truth also has, has to do with morality and how to live a moral life in an amoral world. If everyone is true, if every belief system is true, ultimately what that means is that there is no truth. There is nothing that's really absolutely true. It's just everybody's uh, uh, on their own. And that's where I, I talked. I'm just kind of reviewing some of the ideas we've talked over the last few weeks, is that it's, it's really a, an expression of an orphan spirit. Uh, that there is no authoritative uh, source for knowledge. It's like an orphan has no authority in their life, and so they just have to make it up as best they can. So relativism isn't true because if everyone was true, then it would be no one's really true. There isn't any truth, so you can't say anyone's true. Um, It's not applicable to the material world. The natural laws don't work this way. The law of gravity, <laughs> you know, if, if you take, it doesn't, you know, the, uh, just a natural law like everybody needs to breathe air, right? And we can test this. <laughs> we can take people and submerge them in the water and they'll die. It doesn't matter what they believe. Right? They're going to die. Uh, if they jump off a building, they're going to die regardless of their belief. Right, Because there's certain laws and the whole, in fact, all of our scientific knowledge flows out of the conviction that we can understand objective reality by studying it, that it's repeatable. And so we've learned so much and and, uh, civilization has advanced so much not by saying there is no reality, there is no objective truth, but that by observation and testing we can determine what really is from what we think is. And we test theories and we come to an understanding, a better understanding of how, how the universe works. The next thing is that not only is it not consistent with the material world, it's not consistent with real life. It's not how people really live. People get all oh, relativism comes up in, in in regard to discussing religion and things uh, in a esoteric or, or um, abstract way. But you don't live this way in real life. In other words, if you told your child not to take a cookie and the child embraced truth relativism, the child could say, well, did the cookie really exist? What would you do? Smack him! (laughs) No, you wouldn't smack him. You'd say, yeah, the cookie exists. (laughs) Or a moral relativist, what would a moral relativist say? Moral relative would say, "Well, the child has to decide if, if if he should have a cookie or not." You know, I mean, if we based real life on that, what would happen? Think about it. They'd eat all the cookies; it wouldn't be any left for us. <laughs> but primarily, it's not reflective of God's nature, and that's the that's the fundamental point that we need to. Address, and that's you know I'm a preacher, I'm not a philosopher in that sense, and that it doesn't reflect God's nature, and that's the real argument. Um, So now the problem with the idea of relativity or relativism as a uh, as a philosophy is that it's the problem isn't that it's completely baseless. The reason it's so powerful is that it's almost true. All right. In other words, there's a lot of truth in it. Or there's a lot that's accurate in the way that it describes uh, uh, life. In other words, there's many things in the world that are dependent upon our culture, that are dependent upon our language and our circumstances. Much of how you act throughout each and every day is really the result of just where you were born and the language that you learned and the, and the lifestyle that you had as a child. And so, so much of our life is just uh, conditional or relative to our upbringing and our education and our um, socioeconomic uh, status in life that, you know what, a lot of those things are relative or I like the word dependent. So much depends on your culture. But we can identify this. Uh, you know, our brains, are, are, God's given us the intellect and the ability to discern what is a cultural uh, uh, expression. And it's very easy to look at different cultures. And I've visited quite a few different cultures. And in and, and all the cultures, you know what? There's some things that just jump out that they're all the same. In every culture that I've ever heard of, there's this thing called marriage. It looks a little different in some cultures. But primarily, it's the same thing. Even cultures that were separated for from all the way back that may never have contacted any other culture, you know what? They, there's still a thing called marriage and, and ch- ch- raising children, and there's a universal uh, idea of, of an existence of God, and there's a universally accepted thing of right and wrong, and so we can we can bridge those cultural gra- gaps. And give a better understanding of how life really works, but uh, the fact that there are some things that are dependent, <clears throat> God relates to each one of us individually, and in that way, the aspect of relativity is true. In other words, because God relates individually to each one, He, He, it's it's rel- God, how God relates to you is in some ways relative. But it's a corruption of that truth to say. <clears throat> That because some things are relative, that there is no objective truth. Okay, uh, the, um, the statement that all things are relative—all things are relative in and of itself—is an objective statement, and so it disqualifies itself. The idea that we can actually say that things are relative pre-assumes the the, the idea of the opposite—that there are that there is something that's subje- that is objective by which we can measure. Relative. Does that make sense? You know? <clears throat> okay. It's more. De- I think it's more correct to say that many things are dependent. Because it's true that all things are dependent. Ultimately, everything is dependent on the person of God. Okay? And so in that, in that, yes, you know, how I define uh, my understanding of truth is dependent on a lot of cultural things. And ultimately, everything is dependent on the person of God. So to say all things are dependent... Is very, very different than to say all things are relative. And it gives us the understanding that there are conditions, uh, uh, but ultimately there is objective truth by which we can measure or we can determine what is dependent, what is relative. And what is absolute? What what are what are the standards that we are called and invited by God to live and that reflect His nature and that work in real life uh, and that makes sense. <clears throat> Jesus is the truth. If we believe that Jesus is the truth, it's not then truth is not relative in the sense that relativism presents it, but it's more relational. Alright? In the in the sense that being true is defined by your relationship with the person Jesus Christ. And so this kind of puts, again, like I talked about last week, we need to change the conversation and not just try to argue philosophy. Because for every philosophical argument, there's a counter-argument. And it's okay to understand how philosophy works, but ultimately, as Christians, we are here to proclaim the person and the message of Jesus Christ. And if someone chooses to re- to put their trust in a relativism a philosophy of relativism, that's fine. But we are to proclaim the per- person. Are you hearing me? The gospel is the message of the person Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for our sins, and that He rose from the dead, uh, and ascended into heaven, and that He rules and reigns over all. And it- and so a relativist will say that's fine for you and I'm saying I'm saying that's not what I'm saying I'm saying this is objectively true and whether you believe it or not you will encounter Jesus Christ and I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ and I want to share with you how I encountered Jesus Christ and so that's the message of the gospel <clears throat> Jesus said to uh Jesus was talking to some uh Jews and uh, uh he confronted them he says in John 8.31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, He says, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so this, this idea of abiding is living in. It's the same word that they use for I, I live in the house. All right? And Jesus said, you have to live in My Word. And when you do that, when you live in a relationship with Jesus Christ, living His Word, then you know the truth. Not just when you hear His teachings, but when you abide, when you remain, when you stay there. And then you begin to see uh, how the Kingdom works. Experiential truth. Truth put into practice only because you have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it, and so you do it. God's Word tells us to live a particular way, we live that way and then we see. Ah, now I see how it all works. That's experiential truth. Jesus said in John 3.3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So until someone comes into a relationship with God through faith, they can't even see it. Alright? You cannot grasp. You can't see it. You can't see how the kingdom of God works until you're in a relationship. You can't have it all figured out and then decide whether you're going to buy in. Right? You know, Because then you evaluate whether or not it's right or wrong. No, you have to buy in relationally in order to see how it all works. And, and, and it's because, because faith is about trust. And you're trusting a person, not just a philosophy Or a list of conditions. Now, when I brought this up to some (coughs) uh, several people, the first thing when I talked to I said, "How do I asked them about relativism and and uh, what what they thought?" The first thing uh, that came up was, "Well, Romans 14:14." I said, "Really?" (coughs) Was that Peter's house? (laughs) Uh, I was like, "Really?" (laughs) It's good news, Bible. (laughs) It wasn't Peter, was somebody else. But I mean, Peter probably knows his Bible, but. <laughs> I'm like, Romans 14. Yeah, what's that say? I, I didn't know. <laughs> it says, I know and I am convinced by this, Paul talking to, uh, to the Romans. It says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Oh, so that's relative then something that's clean or unclean, based on whether you consider it to be clean or unclean. So, so the Bible actually teaches relativism in a moral sense? I was like, well, that's not quite the fullness of what he's saying here. Let's read the whole section, 14 through 23. It says, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Notice how he brings it right back to the resur- to the, the crucifixion. This is about the Jesus Christ. Okay, This whole issue isn't just about what's right to eat and what's wrong to eat. This is about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and representing Christ to other people. All right? Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You know, the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. And I'll read the rest of this, but you know, the whole issue of what uh, was allowed to eat was, was one of the primary points that they were debating. And he's saying the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you drink. It's about righteousness. <laughs> okay? Now, righteousness, the Bible talks a lot about righteousness. And righteousness is not, hey, whatever you think is okay. You know, righteousness is not defined by it doesn't really matter. What you do or what you don't do. That's the kingdom is about living right. Living in peace and living in joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things, what things? Righteousness, peace, and joy, are, is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify another. In other words, the, pri- the priority is building up one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. In other words, he's contrasting and the issue at hand is the dietary laws of the Old Covenant and that God had made all things pure and that they weren't condemned by eating pork because the kingdom of God was not about pork or, or beef or lamb. It's about righteousness, right? Well, that was a specific issue that was dealt with, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, uh, early church, in, in the Bible, in the book of Acts. It says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for man who eats with offense. It is neither it is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine nor to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So you you have to consider the effect that your actions will have on others. And that's the context of what Paul is talking about. Not whether something is right or wrong for you personally. But listen, you have to think about the effect that it's going to have. If you, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself by what he approves. And that's a powerful statement. And you need to evaluate the behavior that you choose to do by that that sentence. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Many a Christian approve of a lot of things, types of behavior. You're going to find out that they're actually bringing themselves into condemnation because they haven't submitted it to God. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats uh, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. In other words, the context in earlier, the first half of the chapter is talking specifically about two conflicts that were raging within the church. In other words, people were struggling with this idea. Do we have to follow the Judaic uh, dietary laws, which... Some people were teaching. They, they had to eat, uh, follow all those dietary laws. And then there was another issue that had to do with food, and that in every one of these cities, people would offer animals to uh, idols. Okay? And, and, and we don't realize, we don't do that in this culture too much. Uh, <laughs> but in the, in the ancient culture, they'd offer an animal, and then they'd eat it. Even most of the offerings in the Old Testament were eaten as a celebratory meal. Some were whole burnt offerings. But most of the offerings were actually cooked and then eaten as part of the celebration. And so Christians really were struggling with the idea when they went over to to a, a person who believed in some pagan god and they had meat that had been offered to an idol. And they were thinking, oh, I don't want to eat that. That'll be sinful. And Paul's saying, no, you know what? You can eat it, but if your conscience... You now if you had worshiped that that pagan idol for most of your life, you may not be able to eat that. And you know what? Respect that. Respect your conscience. Okay? Ultimately it, it isn't a sin. But violating your conscience is a sin. And so if you have a if you have a check mark on there, you know, just eat vegetables. <laughs> he actually says that in there. Alright? And and anything that's not from faith is sin. In other words, anything that's not a product of your relationship with Jesus. It's not saying uh, that it's okay to say, well, I'm not going to go to hell if I do this, so I might as well. You know, Jesus isn't going to send me to hell just because I have, you know, you drunk a little bit or, or use this word or that word. That, that's not what that verse is saying. It's saying anything that doesn't proceed from faith in other words, anything that isn't a product of your love relationship and your relationship of trust with the Lord Jesus Christ is sin. Are you hearing me? Okay. So what is sin? Anything that doesn't isn't a fruit of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a few more scriptures and then take a few questions if you have any. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-13, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Listen, what's assaulting our culture right now is nothing different than what's assaulted every Christian that's ever lived. Alright? So, quit whining. Alright? This is just the way the world works. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's just a sample list. There's a lot more things that could be included. And some of those things are really offensive to some of us. And some of those things we're like, well, that's not so bad. You know, to God, they're all equally. They will not, they will keep you out of heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you practice those things. But, he says, and such were some of you. In other words, we've all been redeemed from these lifestyles. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Then he repeats this idea again. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So that's a key point. If someone is, if you're brought under the power of anything, it is it'll corrupt you, regardless of what it is. Even if it's something that's okay, even if it's something that's not sinful, if you're brought, if it becomes an idol in your life, it will keep you from the kingdom of heaven. Food for the stomach is Paul. I love this statement from Paul: "Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them." Now the body. And he's comparing it He says the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, because that was the context of the whole discussion that he's he's talking about is sexual immorality. He says Our body is for the Lord, not for being misused either sexually or with, uh, um, you know, in drunkenness or covetousness or thiever, thievery, all these different ways. Our bodies are for the Lord's and the Lord for the body. All right. Uh, this statement and the statement in Romans, uh, Christian freedom does not allow for the things that are clearly forbidden in Scripture, both here and elsewhere. So uh, to say that, oh, you know, we're we're you know, grace has set me free, so I'm I'm free to to live a life of homosexuality, or I'm free to to to, to have sex with anybody I want, whether or not I'm married or they're married. You know, that's fornication. I'm free to look at pornography. My salvation's not at risk just because I look at pornography. Not according to this verse. That's relativism. You've been sold a bill of goods. You've been deceived. That, that behavior is not the fruit of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That behavior is your body being used for sexual immorality. All right? And Jesus said, you know what? You can be washed from that. You can be cleansed from that. You can be set free from that. Okay? Because the kingdom of God is about righteousness. About peace. Being at peace with God and peace with others and about joy. You want real joy. Don't yield your body to these things that bring, uh, uh, uh destruction. Um, <clears throat> Isaiah 5, I'm gonna read a couple Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Uh, five verse twenty, Isaiah 5.20 Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sights. I mean, these, the Bible clearly talks about relativism and says you're in trouble, guys, if you start this. Proverbs 14.12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is what? The way of death. It seemed right. Well, how can you know what's right? The objective truth revealed to the person of Jesus Christ revealed through the objective Word of God. How Jesus is portrayed throughout all of Scripture. The way of a fool is right in his own eye, but uh, he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 6.2 All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Alright, <clears throat> the final point to consider is future Judgment. We will be held account. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, and this is at the end of Ecclesiastes, where where the pro, or the preacher is most likely Solomon at the end of his life, is going, "What really matters after all this I've learned and all this I've experienced?" He says the conclusion is. These are the last verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, "Let us hear the conclusion conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. This is what life's all about." For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Okay? My job is just to inform you. If you don't believe me, you don't have to believe me. But I'm I'm righteous because I've told you. Alright? And when I get to heaven, I'll say, I told them. (laughs) And God's going to judge everything that I do personally. Your job in representing the gospel to others is not to convince them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But just to say, listen, this is what I found to be true. And I believe that we're going to have to give an answer. <clears throat> Matthew, Well, that's Old Testament. Well, Matthew 25, these are the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another. This is going to be done individually as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So there's going to be the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And then Paul talks about in Corinthians, this is called the great white throne judgment, uh, where Christians, these are the sheep, after the goats are separated and, and, kicked in, uh, and, and allowed to go the way of their choosing, away from God, because they've resisted everything that God has done to, to get them to follow Him. Christians, you and I, it says, we must all, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one individually may receive the things done in the body. What you do in your body, you will receive. Something in return for it. In other words, each act that you've done, you will have to give an account for. According to what he has done, he or she has done, whether good or bad. So each and every individual person, you will personally come before God to determine whether or not you have lived a life of faith, you have had a confession of faith in Jesus for your salvation. But even once we've been saved, we will also appear before Jesus Christ and we will have to give account for how we've we've lived this life. All right? Uh And so the idea that relativism isn't right because it doesn't make sense, relativism isn't right because it doesn't reflect the nature of God, and relativism isn't right because it doesn't account for the future judgment. And that there's going to be a day where we all come before God and have to give an answer. So, any questions about relativism? If you don't have any, I have a few for you, so don't feel pressured. Yes, and I thought if you've spoken to this before, but I'm curious about First Corinthians 9 19 to 23, where all says, So I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Okay. I think it's easy. Uh, Paul did whatever he could to communicate the Gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And so, when he would go to a city, the first place that he would go would be to the Jewish synagogue. And he lived a life that the Jewish people would uh, receive him. He, he, because he was a Jew, he kept the Jewish religious feasts and he kept uh the the Jewish uh, uh traditions so that he could witness to them all right <clears throat> but when but every city that he went to he would preach the message of the gospel and they would listen it to a point some would believe but then some would realize wait a minute what he's teaching is is something different all right and they would eventually kick him out and then he would preach to the gentiles and his message to the gentiles was you don't have to you know, dress like a Jew. You don't have to eat like a Jew. You don't have to live in a house with Jewish trinkets. Okay? Uh, and so, he became, he lived in a way so that his the message of the Gospel could be communicated. And so, when we uh, go to Japan, we don't say, hey, you have to speak English. You have to read an English Bible. You have to dress like we do, although they do anyway. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not dependent on the cultural things. And he does whatever he can. He's not saying that all of those cultural um, issues are okay. Uh, again, it, it, he he does this in order to communicate. Um, <clears throat> uh, but he actually puts it. Was it nine nineteen? You said. Yeah. <clears throat> that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. For this I do for the Gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. So he would go to all ends to communicate the Gospel. And again, it gets back to the Gospel. What's the Gospel? The message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the salvation of each man, woman, and child. And from the person of Jesus, then those people that come into relationship, through that relationship, determine uh, what is right uh, in the sense of cultural issues. Uh, you know, it's very quick in pagan cultures. In Japan, we see this. It's very quick when someone has a genuine encounter with God, they know that they have to get rid of their family idols. They know that offering offerings to idols is no longer acceptable. Okay, you don't even have to tell them. In fact, they make a point of Christian pastors in Japan don't tell them. They said they have to get that by revelation, but it's almost instantaneous. You know, uh, so that's what that means. It's not I, I live like pagans. No, you you live in a way that you can communicate to them. Any other? Yes, sure. What, what if you steal food from a hungry family? You still are stealing it. You know uh, even the Bible addresses that. someone steals because they're hungry, you know the, the punishment is not the same as someone who steals out of greed. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, to say, well, you know if you steal because you're hungry, does that make all uh, thievery okay? Does it make some thievery okay? No. Uh, the problem is, is, why is the other person not generous? Okay, but there's, there's a, where, is, where is the righteous person? If there's someone suffering genuine hunger, where is the righteous person? And you know what? With this, the church has a problem. Because the church in America, our biggest problem is we have too much food the biggest problem in our culture is is obesity is killing us. (laughs) Do you think we're not going to be judged by that? So the the issue is not, is it okay for that person to steal? No. Where is the person who's got food to give them and why aren't they giving them? The real ethical violation there is that the person is not living uh, other centered, not, not living out of a care and concern. So it doesn't justify stealing. It begs the question: Why is there injustice? And that's the cry of the world: Is that there's injustice, and they think that there's injustice because one person is is um, imposing their religious or political agenda on another, and that's one form of injustice. But ultimately, injustice is because each is because individuals are greedy uh for power and for for things and so the, there's two injustices going there there's the theft but there's also the lack of generosity and the meeting of a real need and so if you address the moral and ethical issues in an honest way the culture uh that hungry person would be fed without having to steal you know it's it's just it's justifying stealing you, you at what point you know, so, so that means if my kid wants the, my neighbor's game, a video game, he can take it because he really wanted it. Well, no, it's not really a need. Right? I know kids in, 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 uh, in the hood in big cities will kill other kids just to get t- tennis shoes. And you say, well, that's not a need. Well, actually it is because if they don't have the right shoes, they will not be allowed in the gang that protects them from being killed from the other gang their life might depend on it, literally. You know, I know this because I talk to people who work with those people, and it's in Chicago. It's only two hours away from here. So it's not a distant problem. So I don't know if that helps. So I mean it's like, what's the what's the real ethical question here? Let's not take the easy answer. Let's, well, uh, I'm done with, I'm done. Okay, <laughs> I'm over time. But if you have questions like this, you can email me or or respond to my blog. And nobody ever comments on blogs. (laughs) Peter's got some uh, uh, announcements. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs)